You are listening to Critical Mass, coast-to-coast radio show, a national business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome to today's episode of Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Our audience demographic is 98% business owners and executives who listen to learn from the experiences of our guests. If your firm is interested in reaching these top decision makers, then advertising on our radio show may be the answer. Each month, our sponsors gain valuable exposure through their support of the program. We delivered over 37,000 highly targeted sponsor impressions last month. To learn more, contact our VP of Sales, Rose Chamora, at 951-515-4661. Let me give you that number again. 951-515-4661. All right, let's turn our attention to our second guest. As I said, Peter Broiler from San Antonio, Texas, brought you to our attention. Greg, you are Managing Partner at Lake Flato Architects. Greg, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. I appreciate that. Tell me how to pronounce your last name, Greg. It's Pape. Pape. That's exactly uh-huh. what I was going to say, but I didn't want there to bring you, you on mispronouncing it. I will I will remember that and refer to you as such moving forward. So tell me a little bit and tell our audience of CEOs of middle market companies a little bit about your professional background and your experience. Well, I'm an architect. I've uh, been an architect for almost 30 years now, about 20 of it with Lake Flato Architects in San Antonio. I do also have a background of doing a little bit of development uh, earlier in my life and, uh, and even worked construction. So I've had uh, my angles come from a, a variety of um, directions in becoming an architect uh, through my career. And Lake Flato is, is kind of a composed of similar folks who've come with backgrounds in um, in architecture, engineering, and the arts coming together to form a really unique architecture firm in San Antonio. Architecture, engineering, you had me there. You surprised me with the arts piece. Can you explain that? Yeah, so I think uh, architecture is, is kind of the, the, you can think of architects or architecture as the the master builder or the, the craft people who put everything together that form a building. And a lot of the folks that come to work in our office have experience doing that. So we've had folks here who've been, uh, uh, you know, uh, designed and built their own light fixtures, people who've done welding, people who've done sculpture and ceramics. And so all of that it adds to the, I guess, the, uh, the uh, diversity of experiences that come together to make up our office. So tell, can you answer this question, and you're not the first architect that I've had on the show that I've asked this question of, but it, it intrigues me. Whether it's a TV show or a movie, whenever they want to give the lead character a cool job, they make her or him an architect. What is that about your profession that is so attractive that the media uses it as this iconic and hip kind of uh, profession? Boy, I wish I knew. I wish I was that iconic and hip person that you're referring to. Okay. Um, I think what it is probably is that architects uh, and architecture uh, actually offer this great fulcrum point between the kind of engineering and the science aspects of professions and the artistic aspects of professions. And so in many ways, I think a lot of people can see themselves as or maybe aspire to be uh, that kind of person, somebody who actually can fuse together the science and the engineering side of things with the artistic and the aesthetic side of things. And that's what we try to do on a daily basis for our clients. Yeah, those 
qualities don't always exist in the same brain, do they? Being engineering oriented and also being aesthetic and architecture and being able to create something that is not only safe and durable, but is also beautiful and uses space well. That That's the part of architecture that I find so interesting is how, with a little that I understand, so I'm out a little bit on a thin branch here, so so I need a, I need a safety net, Greg, and please be that for me. But my sense is that the use of space that architects create, it's sometimes so subtle, but yet it's so impactful that until it's explained to you, you almost don't understand at a conscious level what what's going on, but you certainly appreciate it on a subconscious or unconscious level. Does that make sense? Yeah, Rick, I think actually that's a really good observation. I, I think you can imagine architecture, like many things, having multiple layers of depth or meaning. And uh, if we do our jobs well and we great, make great spaces or make great buildings, those layers get revealed in different ways to different people. Some people will appreciate them for the beauty or the aesthetics. Some will appreciate them for the um, for the practicality and the functionality. Some will appreciate them for the engineering and the performance. And some people will be able to grasp all of those things. And if an architect's done his or her job well, what they've done is they've been able to layer all those things into a design and make them be available to uh, anybody who's experiencing that design. Thank you for that. And I'm speaking with Greg Pepe. He is managing partner at Lake Flato Architects. Uh, in your which city are you in? Are you in San Antonio? We are. Our okay. office is in San Antonio, Texas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the market, but that's probably going to have to wait until after the commercial break. We've got about three minutes before the next sure. commercial break. But I wanted to ask you, has what is considered current design, best either best practices or what is in, in style now, has that changed re- greatly or subtly recently? And if so, in what way? Well, that's another really good question. I, I think what's defined as what's in fashion or in style in design, uh, you can see in many aspects of design, whether it's art or uh, you know fabrics or whatever it might be, <clears throat> what's visually uh, in style changes quite a bit. But we like to think that what's in style with respect to the uh, fundamentals of a building or the underpinning philosophy shouldn't change a whole lot. And the way that we approach it and the way I think many architects approach it is that there's a lot of layers to uh, to making a building work that have to do with the performance of the building, about making spaces that are enjoyable uh, for people, about making a space that is actually rooted in place. We like to say that design shouldn't travel, that really good design is very specific to its uh, to the culture and to the climate and the landscape and the place that it's designed for. We think those things are consistent, and, and it's the interpretation of how you uh, create Spaces for those underlying philosophies that actually is what kind of changes subtly over time. Certainly in the last uh, 15 or 20 years, the ability for us to use uh, digital technology both in designing buildings but in also engineering them and then in fabricating them has opened doors of possibility that were much more difficult to open uh, before that. But the, those kind of underpinning, you know, it's, it's an art for people, really. Architecture is an art for people, mm-hmm. and people haven't changed a whole lot. And so the needs that we're addressing when we do a building um, should be tied back to those basic uh, basic parameters. Okay, I'm going to sneak in one more question before our next commercial break, because sure. I, I don't want to lose the energy around this conversation. I love, I marvel at having technology CEOs on my on my radio show, which is Critical Mass Coast Coast Radio Show, because the rate of change 
of their business model is faster than I've seen in any other industry mm-hmm. just because technology innovation kind of go hand in hand, right? When we think of innovation, many times we think of technology. But but as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, I, and I want to ask this question of you, Greg. Has, has the material that you are able to use now, and I know that there's been you know, evolution and innovation in the material, the building materials that you're able to use. Has, has that given architects more freedom to create or has it opened up new ways of thinking about creating space and buildings based on the basic, uh, the basic material properties that you're able to use now that maybe 40 or 50 years ago, they didn't have at their disposal? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think buildings today can and should be made better than buildings of 50 or 100 years ago. There's uh, there's a lot of advancements in material technology. Even even when you see a traditional building material like stone or concrete or something like that used, uh, the, the, the chances are that it's being used today in a, in a much different and better way than it was used 50 or 100 years ago in the way that we put buildings together. So I think in the last 30 or 40 years, what's really made architecture accelerate is that the science of building and then the, uh, the science and you know, digital applications of designing have advanced dramatically, and we've been able to incorporate those into the kind of traditional thinking about how we make spaces for people. Okay, I got one more, and then I'm going to let you go. My producer, my engineer are freaking out, but I, I, you got me on a roll here. <laughs> I don't want to lose my train of thought, and this may be a tangent that, that is a quick answer. probably is, and maybe it's an unfair question, but I've got to ask it. Okay, I'm getting the hurry-up sign, but I'm still going to stay here. It's my show. We're going to hang a little bit longer. The question <laughs> is, when you, as a professional, look at something like the Great Pyramids, do you look at those things and go, wow, they were lucky, or wow, they really understood the basic science Maybe they didn't even understand the science, but they really did a good job in what they constructed there. I think if you look at any kind of remarkable piece of architecture over the millennia, there's a layer, there's layers and layers of thinking that went into that that are very, very difficult for even a professional to understand, let alone a layperson. So when I look at the pyramids and I look at the Eiffel Tower, you're, you're looking at both the pinnacle of kind of design and construction technology fusing together in an integrated way to create some of the best physical achievements that man's been able to create. Thank you. Now we're going to take our third and final commercial break here on Critical Mass uh, Coast to Coast Radio Show. And when we get back, we're going to have another ranging conversation with our second guest, Greg Pepe. And we'll be back after these words from our sponsors. There's something uniquely positive about the word up. When things are good, things are looking up. When you want to go fast, you speed up. And when you're really cheering, you stand up. So when you want to move up, what do you do? Well, when it comes to getting your bachelor's degree or master's degree, there's one university that stacks up better than virtually everyone else, and that university is Brandman. Brandman University is ranked by U.S. News and World Report as one of the nation's top ten universities for online bachelor's programs, and it ranked best in the state of California. Brandman also received top honors from U.S. News and World Report for our online graduate programs in business and education. Plus, our programs are available on ground at more than 25 convenient campuses. So to wrap things up, we recommend you look us up at brandman.edu. That's brandman.edu. And find out how to move up like never before. Brandman University. Move up. 
Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. This is the sound of a flat-screen television hurled off a building. Now the new bike your kid wants. These are the things you could have all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Use Energy Star light bulbs and appliances, and you could save hundreds of dollars a year. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this edition of Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our listeners who download our show as a podcast. You've downloaded over 12,000 shows during the last 30 days. We here at the program appreciate your continued and growing support. All of our shows can be heard live, of course, here on octalkradio.net or rebroadcast anytime from Apple iTunes, Stitcher.com, and other business-oriented podcasting services. Our second guest is Greg Pepe. He is the partner, managing partner at Lake Flato Architects in San Antonio. And during the break, my engineer asked me to ask you, so this is a question from the audience, about uh, the Pritzker Prize. Are you familiar yeah. with that award? And could you explain it to our audience, please? Sure. So there are you know a number of awards programs that exist in lots of professions and and, uh, and similarly, there are in architecture. And um, probably the most coveted prize that an architect might receive is called the Pritzker Prize, which is uh, given out to one architect a year by the committee formed by the, you know, the Pritzker organization. Um, that, uh, And I think that maybe for about 30 years now they've been handing it out. So it's kind of the Academy Award for architecture. Uh, that's a worldwide jury that they convene to review various um, nominated architects' works. And then they select one, and, and that person would be the Pritzker Prize winner for the year. Well, thank you for giving us background on that, and thank you to my engineer for having a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things and bringing them to the quality of the show. You know, I wanted to ask you, you know, we talked about materials innovation and how that's affecting your profession. The other side of that is the growing awareness for green initiatives and making buildings sustainable. Can you give our audience of CEOs of middle market companies kind of a sense for where where are you in that evolution as an industry and kind of help us to understand how that movement is progressing within your industry? Well, I think uh, for the last 20 years or so, uh, architecture and construction have really been accelerating in making the greening of buildings and the higher performance of buildings a, a priority for um, for what we're doing for our clients. And there's good reason behind that. You know, there's a lot of different statistics, but essentially about 50% of all energy use in, in the United States goes into the construction and operation of buildings. So we can have a huge influence 
on the efficiency of that if we build and operate buildings uh, in a better way. So maybe 20 or so years ago, as the science, again, of architecture was improving, a whole number of rating and organ uh, systems came in, into place. Maybe the most prominent one is the LEED rating system for buildings that's promoted by the U.S. Green Building Council that's really asked architects and, and constructors to up their game and think more holistically about how we do our buildings. So it has a big impact down the line. I mean, I think what any, any kind of dollar that we can return to our clients is a dollar that they can put to use some other way. So if our buildings are efficient from an energy and a, and a water use standpoint, that's great. But maybe more importantly, the, the things that lead to efficient buildings are usually uh, or very typically the things that lead to healthier buildings and better buildings for people to be working in. So we can increase, increase productivity, have people be happier in their work and, and uh, learning and uh, life environments if we think uh, more holistically about how we do that. So the green building movement is really just uh, you know, at its core about building better buildings that, that people appreciate more and that use less resources. And that's going to continue to evolve as we understand uh, and we get more innovation in the products and application of those uh, of that innovation into your profession as well. Huh? I mean, I, do, do you think that we're going to continue to become smarter and smarter and have more, better and better tools to make buildings more and more sustainable over time? Absolutely. I, I think the, the systems that started out in place 20 years ago were, were not mainstream. They were kind of very outside the mainstream 20 years ago when you talked about a green building, you talked about you know, sourcing materials locally, and you talked about having low-emitting materials for off-gassing and so forth. People would look at you with kind of weird looks. That's all been completely um, assumed now within the building and, and design industry. So all of the things that were we're offbeat are now mainstream. And so that means that now we're looking for yet the next generation of products and design processes that can continue to improve buildings and, um, and spaces for people. And I think it's, it's, this is one thing that's not a trend. I think this is one thing that will not disappear. I think we found that it's actually with a lot of um, good thinking and good design, you can build buildings that use uh, fewer resources. And so uh, why wouldn't that be a better building, U using less energy, using fewer resources to get a better result? Thank you. I'm speaking with the managing partner at Lake Flato. He is Greg Pepe. He comes to us from San Antonio. And I want to thank Peter Broiler, who is our Renaissance executive business partner in the great city of San Antonio for suggesting that we interview here on our radio show today. Greg, you know, earlier you said, uh, you know, an architecture design should not travel well it should somewhat be in so so tell me a little bit and hopefully i'm quoting you correctly but tell me a little bit about the design priorities for the san antonio area oh that's a great question yeah well so, so i think uh, maybe at kind of its root there's a lot of ways you can think about what makes design very specific but the kind of the three or four ways that we boil it down to is really trying to connect with the culture or the patterns of living that people have in a place, with the climate that exists there, with the landscape, and then with the building craft. So in San Antonio, there's a very kind of wonderful bicultural, uh, it's a very great bicultural city. My wife's Hispanic, and, uh, and I'm Anglo, and obviously you're growing up with, with mixed kids. And, um, and so there's a really wonderful way that, that uh, people come together and celebrate in San Antonio. In San Antonio, for example, the climate's very nice. It's very hot in the summer, but the other nine months out of the year, it's very uh, wonderful. And so we like to think of making for patterns of our buildings that allow people to move from inside to outside very easily. And so that's a cultural thing, but also, also a climatic thing. Uh, similarly, there's, you know, uh, plant structures, uh, 
flora and fauna in an area that make it very specific and unique. And so we don't like to import, uh, you know, landscape solutions to our projects. So our buildings and landscapes feel feel very much of the place. I think we like to say that if we've done our job well, our buildings feel like guests on the landscape, that they're kind of there, even though we hope they're there for 100 years, they almost feel like they've touched very lightly uh, and they're guests in that um, overall environment. And then the building craft. And the building craft is probably the hardest one these days to be connected to locally because uh, as we mature, you know, as a people, as a society, we find it very easy to get materials from any continent um, and uh, have something manufactured in Asia or in Europe and imported over to the United States. But we like to look for the building traditions that were here uh, 100 years ago because when, when people didn't have air conditioning, when they didn't have electric lights, they had to build buildings with things that were available and they had to build them in ways that made them naturally pleasant and comfortable. And so, you know, in San Antonio, that would mean building with masonry walls, heavy walls that would reject the heat uh, and and, um, keep that harsh environment out in the summer. Light roofs, uh, metal roofs that would reflect the heat, again, keeping it out in the summer, but uh, allowing for the buildings to be open to the outside so that the other months out of the year you could take advantage of that. So it's it's looking for the specificity of um, what exists. And in San Antonio, it's it's very much about this kind of culture of interactions, and those interactions very often happen uh, kind of in an indoor-outdoor way. Well, that that is, I got bonus points. You get bonus points for that answer, and maybe I get bonus points for asking the question, but that was that was marvelous. You know, I, I uh, my memories of San Antonio kind of center around the Riverwalk. And mm-hmm. as you were describing the local flavor, I'm thinking, I think a lot of that is captured in the, ex- now admittedly, I probably haven't been there in a decade, but I have fond memories of being able to sit along there on a cool night and just enjoy everything that happens around that area of the city. It's magical. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's been in San Antonio now for almost 80 years, and it's taken a long time to develop to what it what it's become, but even on the hottest day in the summer, you can go down to the river and it's 15 or 20 degrees cooler than being up at street level because of the microclimate of the river and the shade from the trees and the being sunk in deep between the buildings. And it's a perfect example of a space that's very specifically rooted to place and fits San Antonio and this, yeah, this kind of outdoor culture, indoor-outdoor culture that, that we've come to grow, have grown to love so much about this place is really epitomized by that um, by that wonderful river walk that we have. I have two last questions, and I think I might have created a monster here with my engineer because, he, he, as far as I know, he hasn't had one class in architecture, but he seems to know a lot about <laughs> it. Uh, he, he wrote me a handwritten note, if you can call this handwriting. Uh, he asked me about, he wants me to mention to you Frank Lloyd Wright's house, Falling Water, which is outside mm-hmm. of Pitts- Pittsburgh, which in his right. note he suggests the river running through it has something to do with climate control of the house and cooling. Uh, that's an iconic house, right? And I'm from Pittsburgh, so I can I appreciate the reference. But from an architecture architect's point of view, is there anything else about that house called Falling Water that you'd like to mention? Well, it's uh, it's a spectacular house from many vantage points. I, I think maybe the the thing that was most innovative about that house and most innovative about many things that Frank Lloyd Wright did was he was a real engineer at heart. And so there are some spectacular ways that the the 
pieces of the building of that house cantilever out and over the falling water, the waterfall and river that runs adjacent to it, that would almost defy logic to um, to many structural engineers. But it's um, he used he, he made a very what could otherwise look like a very heavy house of concrete and stone literally float out over the landscape in a in a really magical way. One of the one of our greatest architects ever for sure. Well, this has been a pleasure to have you on the show. I Thank can you. see now why Hollywood uses your profession. <laughs> you've just you've answered my lifelong question, and I appreciate you doing that. Uh, if someone wants to learn more about Lake Flato Architects, how do they find you online, Greg? Uh, so there's a the, the best place to start is lakeflato.com. That's our main website. Uh, if you want to know a little about a little bit more about the culture of Lake Flato, we've got a social media blog that's called lakeflatodogrun.com. And uh, we've got a couple of books about our uh, work. One's called Buildings and Landscapes, and the other one is called Lake Flato Houses Embracing the Landscape, and you can find those through any kind of online bookstore. So I know how to spell Lake Flato because it's here in front of me, but would you do that for our audience, please? Sure. Lake Flato is two words. It's L-A-K-E, Lake, and then Flato, F as in Frank, L-A-T-O, Lake Flato Architects. Well, Greg, I can't thank you enough for sharing a bit of what you know about your profession and sort of enthusing us with your uh, energy and love for your profession. Nothing but continued success. Thank you for being a friend of the program, and welcome to the Renaissance Executive Forums community. Well, thank you, Rick. It was my pleasure. Have a good day. You too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, outstanding interview from an outstanding business person and architect in San Antonio. Again, I want to thank Peter Broiler for bringing him to our attention, and I want to thank Joe Carey, our Richmond, Virginia partner, for bringing our first guest to our attention as well. Our first guest was Patrick Dennis. So I'm your host, Rick Franzi. Let, let me just say I want to thank Renaissance Executive Forums and the partnership that we have with them. Renaissance is an executive, is an international organization for executives who want to take their businesses to the next level, and who doesn't want to take our businesses to the next level. That means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. If you'd like to learn more about Renaissance Executive Forums, then visit their website, executiveforum, spelled F-O-R-U-M-S, dot com. This show is brought to you by our commercial advertisers. They are Brandman University, Commercial Bank of Orange County, California, sorry, Decision Toolbox, Smart Business Magazine, Succession Strategies, and Center Club, a member of Club Corp. Our engineer today who contributed so much to the program is Paul Roberts. Our producer is Crystal Nunley. Our guest coordinator is Kathleen Shepard. Asia Celestino is our social media manager. Live events coordinator is Melissa Padani. Our VP of sales is Rose Chamora, and I'm your host, Rick Francie. If you'd like to refer a guest or maybe advertise on Critical Mass Radio Show or learn about our CEO peer groups that I lead for business owners here in Orange County, Southern California, visit criticalmass4forbusiness.com. Until the next show, I hope all of your decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You've been listening to Critical Mass Coast to Coast Radio Show, business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 